Welcome to the Other Border Wall podcast. We are a multicultural group of artists in conversation as part of our ongoing creative resistance to borders. Here we speak of the bridges and walls we encounter. We are Tarane Adia, Leah Patgorski, and Jennifer Nagel Myers. Welcome to the surprise finale episode for our podcast series. We are very excited to make public the Artist Talk for the Border is a Weapon exhibition, moderated by Jose Diaz on February 22, 2022. Almost a month had passed since the exhibition opened in Pittsburgh, curated by Gil Roca and presented by us, The Other Border Wall Project. It had already been seen by well over 15,000 people and was generating buzz, press, and many conversations. The Artist Talk was moderated by Jose Diaz, the acting curator of the Andy Warhol Museum. There was an audience online through Zoom of about 50 to 60 people. The conversation between the artists and Jose was lively, dynamic, and brought the voices of themselves into pure and direct context. We are very glad to bring this to you now, almost a year later, as our final finale episode for our entire podcast series. We hope you enjoy it as much as we do. The conversation begins while Leah is introducing Jose Diaz. We visited Laredo, Texas, and through Gil Rocha, our collaborator and also the curator of this exhibition, we got a glimpse of how the border runs through that city and an introduction to the creative community there. So we really wanted to bring that experience somehow back to Pittsburgh, not only for the art sparks we knew um, would happen, but also to make a connection with um, border issues that could really be found in any city. So fast forward to last month and the exhibition, The Border as a Weapon opened in Pittsburgh, featuring five artists from South Texas. Um, the original drawings uh, that other border walls submitted to the government are a part of the show. And in the catalog, there's a beautiful essay by Terrane that draws lines back to Pittsburgh. But tonight, for the most part, we will be hearing from the other artists in the exhibition. And for that, I'm happy to introduce our moderator, Jose Carlos Diaz, chief curator at the Andy Warhol Museum. Since taking this role, he has curated a number of stunning exhibitions, including Farhad Moshiri, Go West, Andy Warhol, Revelation, Fantasy America, and Becoming Andy Warhol for the Ulin Center for Contemporary Art in China. So now I will hand the mic over to Jose. Yes. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, uh, my name is Jose. I'm, I'm zooming in this evening from Miami, Florida, um, but I live in Pittsburgh and I work at the Andy Warhol Museum. And for those of you in Pittsburgh, I hope you've had a chance to see the exhibition. It's really wonderful. And it's on view through April. And so tonight we're going to have a conversation uh, with the curator and with the artists. Um, but I will encourage you, if you have uh, questions, to please put them in the comment box. Um, be sure that you uh, mute yourselves in case you uh, uh, have a phone call or something or are going to go get a snack. You can leave your cameras on if you like, and uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Um, I guess I'll start off by introducing um, tonight's speakers. So I'm going to read a little bit of bios, uh, and if you want to give us a little wave, but I want to introduce uh, Maritza Bautista. Uh, she's a Tex-Mex artist, educator, and cultural worker, worker from Laredo. 
She received an MA in art education from the School of Art Institute of Chicago and a BA in psychology with a minor in studio art from Texas A&M International University. Her work has been screened at various festivals, including the San Antonio Film Festival uh, and the Mira Media Fest. She has presented and screened her work at various programs in Texas, Chicago, and Mexico, including the International Association of Inter-American Studies Sixth Biennial Conference. Hello, Maritza. Hi. Good evening, everyone. <laughs> nice to see you. Thank um, you. Uh, next, we have uh, Jose Villalobos, who grew up in El Paso. Uh, Villalobos received a BFA from the University of Texas at San Antonio. Uh, he was awarded the Artist Lab Fellowship Grant uh, that same year from his work at the Guadalupe Cultural Arts Center. He recently earned a Joan Mitchell Painters and Sculptures Award. Uh, congratulations. Uh, and is a recipient of the Tane Foundation Award. His work was featured in the nationally recognized exhibition, which I saw, uh, Transamerican, Transamerica at the McNay Art Museum. Uh, Villalobos has also exhibited and performed at the Mexic Arte Museum, among other institutions and galleries nationwide. Hello, Jose. Hi. Good to see you. Uh, next, we have uh, Juan de, de Dios Moro, de, de Dios Mora, who was born in uh, Yavalica, Mexico. Uh, in 1998, his family immigrated to the United States. In 2009, he received a BFA with an emphasis in painting and an MFA from the University of Texas in San Antonio. Uh, he currently teaches in the art department there as an associate professor of practice. Uh, Mora, Mora has been included in exhibitions across the US, Mexico, and Japan. Uh, institutions have acquired his work, uh, including the McNay Art Museum in San Antonio, the University of Hawaii, the National Museum of Mexican Art in Chicago, and the Smithsonian American Art Museum. Hello. Uh, next, we have Angel Cabrales uh, is an assistant professor in sculpture at the University of Texas at El Paso. He received his BFA from Arizona State University and MFA from the University of North Texas. He is an artist fellow for the Looking for America project out of Washington, DC, and has exhibited in the International Transborder Biennial, Texas Biennial, El Paso Museum of Art, among others. Uh, he's represented by R R02 Gallery in Dallas, Texas, and the Royce Contemporary in Scottsdale. Hello. Hello. And, uh, and then we have our curator, Gil Rocha, who was born and raised in Laredo. Uh, he earned a BFA from the University of Texas in San Antonio and MFA from the School of Artists of Chicago. Uh, his artwork was part of two major uh, Texas exhibitions, the Texas Biennial and the, and the Transborder Biennial. He guest curator Mexique Arte Museum's exhibition, Young Latino Artist 23 in Austin. He is the, he is the painting and drawing instructor at the uh, Trevino School of Communication and Fine Arts, uh, board member of the Laredo Center for the Arts, and committee member of the Laredo Cultural District Project. Uh, in 2020, he had a solo exhibition at uh, Presa House Gallery in San Antonio, and recently opened a two-person exhibition at Kirk Hopper Fine Arts Dallas. Hello, Gil. And I just wanted to mention, uh, we're missing uh, Daniela Cavazos Madrigal. She's one of the artists uh, in the exhibition, and she can't join us tonight, but I know, uh, We'll, we'll speak about her work. And I know Maritza, you have some earrings in honor of her yeah. absence. <laughs> Wearing fruity plums in her honor. I love that. Thank you. All right. Well, I guess I want to start off with the curator, uh, uh, Heal. Um, in your curatorial statement, uh, 
this is a curatorial statement I believe you can see when you walk in the exhibition. And also uh, if you have the catalog, um, the exhibition does have a catalog and it's available um, as, a, as an online offering. We're gonna put that in the chat a little bit later. So if you wanna access that, it's got some beautiful images and some wonderful texts. Um, but in your curatorial statement, there's a passage that I really enjoyed. And it says, this exhibition of visual art uh, tries to take control of our own voices to clarify what is professed in the North of the United States about us. Our intention is to show things as they are and dismantle the weapon. Things are not entirely admirable, but the country's problems are not ours or those of the immigrants. The problem arises because of the founding of a country developed in injustices. In order to, stand, in order to understand each other, let's listen to each other without prejudice. And so I wanted to use that passage and ask you to, if you could elaborate um, the show's theme for our audiences at home, especially for those who haven't seen the show yet. And uh, I also want you to talk about the origins of origins of this exhibition, as well as the curatorial framework. Okay. Um, well, thank you, first of all, everyone for joining us. And uh, that passage, uh, what I wanted to focus on was, you know, taking control of our own voice uh, because of the last presidency, there was always this misconception of like being seen as uh, like immigrants and, and people at the border we had the feeling of being seen in a, in a negative way. And so mm -hmm. this was, uh, an, because art uh, in essence is kind of like this universal language, this global language that we can all speak about. And, and with it, there's this whole history of, of, of stories, of imagery. And so uh, this global language, I think it, it opens uh, the passage so that we can talk about what really is going on. And in this case, through the, the artists that are in the exhibition, I think we could best voice uh, who we are and that, and, and, you know, we're not bad people. You know, there are bad things happening just like they happen everywhere else, but uh, we come here uh, in the same manner, in the same way of like trying to make the best of what we have and do our best with where we are in this country. Thank you. And can you just add to that and just explain uh, to our audience, and uh, I know a little bit about this, but just explain how, how you included these particular artists and why they were important for this exhibition and, and how it actually got to Pittsburgh. I guess that's a, a really broad question, but I wanna, I'm curious as well. Yes, so uh, the way that it got to Pittsburgh was because Leah and I, uh, we met in grad school on certain, so there was that connection and the other border wall, uh, with uh, Jennifer and Terrany, they were interested in, in what is really going on. You know, are these things that we hear, I guess, up north in Pittsburgh, are they really how they are in Laredo? So they took the chance of coming over and we even crossed Tuno Laredo to the Mexican side. And I will tell you that I did warn them, things are, you know, uh, not that amazing, but, uh, but they are amazing. I mean, there are other things that we can see in black and white from the US side to Mexico, things, that are very cultural driven, like music and sound. I mean, like music and, and, and food. And there's these other elements that, I mean, you just can't live unless you live them, unless you go to the, to the Mexican side. So through that visit, that connection uh, started. I then went to Pittsburgh to do a community project where we did a mural and invited the community. And it just kept growing and growing like the ripple effect, you know. And I was offered this opportunity to curate this exhibition, uh, even though, let me just mention that I am, uh, 
I have curated stuff, but I am not, you know, I, I don't feel like a whole curator. I mean, like, like you are, but uh, I mean, I am honored to be given this opportunity. And, um, and so that's when the idea emerged of who was I going to pick to best uh, voice this. And uh, this, the artists that I chose are dear friends of mine, people that I've been following, but I didn't pick them because they were my friends, but because I have been following their work for years. And I understand that we have that common ground coming from the border, knowing what it is to cross the border and, and you know, being professors and dealing with all these um, with with students and, and people through different community projects, I knew that uh, they would represent, you know, what I had in mind and mm -hmm. I guess what the other border wall had in mind as well. So. Yeah, yeah no, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I think you did a great job curating. I think maybe the only difference between us is I, I'm not an artist. I, I love artists. I took studio arts in college and I just chose, I just chose to admire artists in, in my own circle. Um, but yeah, I think you did a fantastic job. I, I walked in the exhibition. They're all, they're all going to the same party. I can tell there was so much cohesion uh, between mm -hmm. all the works. And so I guess I want to jump to my next question. And that's literally talking about the border. And this is to you, Maritza, um, you know, the border between the U S and Mexico, um, they connect with one another, but you also talk about the, the values of exchange, which are literally explored in your work. Um, can you go ahead and discuss your work uh, in the show? You know, this includes photos, uh, lights and video, um, but I also want the audience at home to understand your work better. Um, and we can also, um, I believe we had some images of the exhibition. We can also share just so if Maritza, you, you want to um, reference something, we can um, slow show some images. Yes, thank you. Um, so I'm very interested um, in wealth and the way wealth moves along across, um, along the border, across both sides. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, growing, living on the border and just being from here, um, there's a lot of exchange, right? Um, and, and including like smuggling. Um, smuggling is, is very big here. And, and even if you don't necessarily know someone who is engaging in, in smuggling illegal goods, like you always hear about it. Um, so that's something that really attracts me. And, and, and something that I find fascinating is, um, money exchange locations, which are the casas de cambio, um, just being here on the border, they are everywhere. Um, you see them, especially very close to where the bridge is. Um, so it, it's it, it's just something that that um, to me talks a lot about the way the economy is moving. Um, for example, during the pandemic, most of the stores closed in the downtown area. Um, but the money exchange locations are just going and going and new ones pop up. There's sometimes like two or three on each block. Um, and I just really am drawn in by the colors. Another thing that I really love is their, their marketing that they use. Um, they draw people in by offering free things like free popcorn, free aguas frescas, you know, like come here, come to our location. Um, and, and I, the sounds, the music that they play, um, that's all very important to me. Um, I am very interested also in stories, um, just the stories that aren't necessarily reflected um, through maybe the photos or, or the moving image that I offered. 
Um, I like to say that the work is about people, even though the people aren't present, because I feel like everything that happens with the economy and, and just with goods moving back and forth, you know, with, with Laredo being one of the major ports of the U.S., um, you know, everyone's lives are affected by the way wealth moves. Um, so that's that's like pretty much the gist of the direction mm -hmm. that I'm going in. Yeah, and I, I, I saw the work as highly conceptual, but, you know, working at the Andy Warhol Museum, I saw it as extremely pop, you know, the, 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 the signage and everything. If you isolate that into a photograph or a painting like that, um, this can only be found in certain locations in the U.S. or on the border. And I thought it was really um, incredible capturing like a snapshot uh, of the country. And so I don't know if you thought of your work as pop in that sense or kitsch, um, but even the fact that they're giving aguas frescas or popcorn even adds to that sort of camp element yeah definitely um i i personally whenever i am out there capturing images i do focus on a lot of minimal imagery but just mm -hmm. the fact of everything that's included the signs and and just the rawness and and even just the the dirty the, the way it looks dirty um yeah. i i'm very attracted by that like i just i love that's what draws me in. But yeah. I love that you said that because yes, I think even the, the neon lights, the colors of the numbers, like all that is very poppy. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, yeah. And we'll get to this a little bit later. Um, but I like the fact that you said like storytelling and I want to go into elements of storytelling, but also into satire and humor. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, Juan, um, living in the border town of Laredo, you know, different cultures meet, but they also clash. And so you've identified some satire and humor in your work, and it's about tradition, about racism, and also uh, stereotypes. Um, and, as, and since you're a printmaker, I, I immediately thought when I saw your work at the gallery, I thought of William Hogarth, I thought of Goya's Los Caprichos, I thought of Jose Guadalupe Posada's lithographs, also criticizing society and politics and power in Mexico. Um, so can you talk about your process? I, I'm actually more interested in the conceptual side about how you come up with these ideas for what and what inspires the final sort of scene, the final image uh, that we encounter in the gallery or in the finished work? Yes, um, thank you so much um, uh, for asking me that question. Uh, basically, I'm a pre-maker and um, I grew up uh, in Mexico when I was 14 years old. I, I immigrated to um, Laredo, which is border town to Nuevo Laredo. But Laredo to me, like you say, it's a culture cache, uh, culture, um, call it, what call it the melting pot too, you know, where you mm -hmm. have different cultures and different, um, uh, you know, cultures, habits, you know, di you know, dialogues, you know, everything in just one place. But then one of the things that influenced me the most is basically the, my community. My community is so diverse in different <clears throat> storytelling and also how they can get away with stuff, you know, but also how they can actually manage to survive. So basically my prints and my hours, it talks a little bit about survival and also the, um, the way you love to get into survival mode. And uh, Tomás Ibarra Frausto uh, coined this, uh, this term called rascuache. And rascuache is putting all this stuff together into this imagery. It's stuff that probably is basically has no value for some people when, but when you use it in a second, you know, in a second time or third time, it doesn't matter. You cannot give it new value. So my main goal of this is basically uh, finding the, something uh, and the beauty and stuff that probably it has no meaning or has no value for some people. 
And I learned this because of my parents. And my parents, basically, I was talking about survival. So basically, for them to save money, basically, to make it every day. And then we're Latinos and Latinos. Uh, I mean, I mean, I don't believe in stereotypes, but we are a huge, huge family. We are, we are about eight people in this family. So the deal is, you know, they need to kind of scratch for money here and there. So I remember my dad patching walls with uh, old pieces of wood and uh, pieces of, uh, you know, fun objects. And then from there, I started to actually, you know, um, be um, getting these little things that later influenced me to actually do my pieces. And um, the beauty of this is basically my dad, it wasn't unique. I think my, my whole community, Olareo, to me is unique. But it was different than, you know, Brownsville, other, you know, border towns or... Uh, you know, McAllen, El Paso. So all of us, you know, we have a unique culture, but then uh, again, um, I'm looking for uh, to represent my culture in a way that, you know, the, the imagery can talk on their behalf. It's not so much about the stereotypes, but I'm talking about the ingenuity or the stuff that they have to rely to survive, but also to represent their own or their own culture, their own, you know, um, sometimes, you know, you're going to see, for example, this image, you're going to see this person like mm -hmm. a huge bravado, really, you know, with a sense of pride. And I think my job is not to diminish my, uh, my community or, you know, anyone who actually is part of my, you know, of my community, like I said before. But the deal is I wanted to, to tell everyone that, you know, like uh, he wrote a message, you know, we're, I mean, we're, I mean, we're criminals probably, you know, we do this stuff like anyone else, but we love, we have um, this uh, sense to survive. We, we want to really show the world that we're capable that, you know, to do things. I mean, we can get educated. We can actually do things like anyone else. And then uh, just having that in mind, you really, you know, I want to motivate people that, um, that everything is possible with uh, ganas, with, you know, with energy, with uh, all this, um, uh, with the positive mentality. And I think my imagery is trying to portray that. Uh, like I said, I don't want to diminish my culture, but I want to let them know that everything could be all right by putting the, the right, you know, energy, but also the, uh, the right thoughts into the right, you know, right place. And uh, my, hopefully my images can, image, imagery can portray that. Yeah, very powerful. And, you know, um... My own, my own background, my family's from Mexico, I'm Mexican-American, and I found elements of humor and joy and, and pride. I didn't, I didn't find it as like insulting or offensive. And I, you know, you could have been an artist of another uh, culture, but I, I found even detailed things that I can relate to. My, my brother does children's music. He just did a children's book called Paletero Man. And so you have another work, I don't know if it's in the show, but it's like the ice cream vendor and, you know, the juice bars. And of course, there are, some of these things cross over just to popular, you know, popular American culture. So I certainly found things that I related to. And so just moving along, that had me thinking about just the idea of objects and ready-mades and, you know, things that are, are part of our visual, you know, language. And so, um, Angel, I wanted to uh, talk to you and ask you, um, your multimedia installations and sculptures, they comment on immigration, uh, inequality, uh, and domestic terrorism um, within our commercial-centric society. Um, and your work, when I saw it, it reminded me of amusement park rides you see at the grocery store. Uh, they had, like, you know, for me, instant whimsy. Um, but then, you know, they revealed, like, dark undertones. 
And then the imagery is quite clear. You know, when I started to look at like the, the, the rock salt, we talked about that the other day. Um, can you talk to us about your choice of materials and then the objects and how you sort of embed this coded sort of cultural language uh, within these installations? And I believe you have two large ones in the show and maybe like an, an additional smaller like pinata cage type uh, sculpture. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, I, I'm. I come from a, a an art philosophy of anything and everything can be used for art. Um, so, uh, one day I, I came across a, a gentleman who had twenty of these uh, children's kitty rides, and uh, I saw the I saw a bus and I saw a helicopter and I immediately knew what I wanted to do with them. Um, so I I talked to the guy, managed to get him to sell them to me so that I could. Um, strip everything off of them and then remodify them into uh, something that I wanted to talk about. Um, and, and so it's titled Dream a Little Dream and the Dream Catcher. And, and a big part of it was talking about um, dreamers. Um, and, and it's mainly because I, I do teach, I do have dreamers in my class and, and I, I, I've talked to them about how, how you know, they, they are afraid of being taken away um, and, and so I wanted to uh, really portray like this, this dream landscape of this future that they want and yet growing up uh, in fear um, of, of it being taken away um, at any moment. Um, so it, it's really uh, talking about like that, that even though they're, they were children growing up, that, that dream is, is still invaded with fear and, and, and uncertainty. Um, of what their future can and will be. Uh, so um, I, I really wanted to have a playful nature, but at the same time, as you look further into it, really see like how much damage we're doing uh, to these, to our future. Um, but along, along those lines, I like using elements that um, underlie uh, ways that, that we can possibly uh, create discourse and conversation on, on what we can do. Uh, we talked about using salt and, and a big part of that was, you know, that's the salt that they used to throw on, on, on snow uh, when it snows to melt it. And so I wanted these ice vehicles to be surrounded by salt in hopes of diluting the, those, that nightmare away from um, these, I guess, children. Yeah, and if you look, if, for those of you at home, if you look at this image, the pink and the blue and the white on the ground, um, that's the actual salt, um, is that right? That's the, yes. yeah, yeah. And I was, I was at the gallery with a friend and she could have sworn, she's like, oh, this is something that came literally from a grocery store in Texas because we do live in an age of racism and discrimination. <laughs> I, I know that you had actually manipulated to add the ice or the guns. Can you just talk about how you, you, you take things but you also manipulate them, is that right? Yes. Um... Um, I, I love taking things and then repurposing them into, uh, uh, well, repurposing them. Uh, so when I got this helicopter, um, it was just a cute little helicopter and, and I added the wings, I added the guns into it. Um, I changed out the, uh, the lights in it, added LEDs into it. Um, and I don't know if you, if it was on when you were there, but it also has a sensor and sound. Um, and so when you walk in front of them, uh, a sense, uh, the sensor set off and it plays a techno cumbia that says uh, la gente está muy loca um, to, to add to it. Yeah, yeah. 
No, I, I love that. I want to get back to some objects, but this exhibition also includes a performance um, and it has a new, per I think it's a new performance called Lengua, which translates to uh, tongue. Um, this is by Jose. Um, and you're, you're known for protesting culturally accepted traits of toxic masculinity. Um, this is something that crosses borders between, I think, toxic masculinity in Mexico, but also America. Um, and your work reconciles the challenges in your own gay identity uh, copied from traditional Mexican customs and American culture, um, but also from growing up in a religious family. Um, your new work covers this, but also addresses, at least from what I observed, it addresses violence towards individuals who are different uh, ethnically, but also through their sexual identity. Um, we'll, put a, we'll put a link in the chat uh, for those of you who want to watch the performance. Um, but can you, go ahead and I, can you go ahead and just uh, tell us a little about your practice in general, your performative practice, but also the one that you specifically did, Lengua, which was, uh, which debuted, I believe it debuted, but it was uh, performed in Pittsburgh in the, in the exhibition. My practice through just anything in art in general is um, it, it is something cathartic. It is something that I navigate personally through these spaces and also trying to uh, find solace in things, right? And in doing so, um, my work is very deeply personal and it um, kind of really like digs out these, these really... Um, you know, these events that I've, I've had to endure throughout my entire life and that I still continue to endure, right? And um, so I, I love to use performance and I love to use um, sculpture and installation. Um, and I think it is because these are things that uh, I kind of grew up seeing in space, you know, uh, seeing my father perform as a musician. Um, was kind of a thing that I noticed on uh, how attention um, was being taken, you know, from people to uh, become the center of attention to uh, develop some sort of message. But in doing so also, you know, a lot of these things I grew up seeing was a very deeply religious, evangelistical type of environment, um, certain things. So um, I'll just talk about the installation aspect of this exhibition. And uh, the, so th this specific installation is called Botas para llegar al cielo, which kind of translates uh, boots to uh, reach the sky, but it's kind of this double meaning, right? Uh, it's really, it's uh, how we have been condemned and told as queer individuals that we will never reach heaven for who we are, mm -hmm. right? And it's kind of like, we're here, we're queer, forget about it, you know, like yeah. deal with it, live with it, we're going to, if we can't make, uh, if you can, if you're telling us that we're not going to get there, we'll make our way in, right? So it's kind of this adaptation to like trying to figure out, and it kind of like connects to with with kind of what Juan was saying and trying to figure out uh, this aspect of uh, survival too, right? So mm -hmm. uh, you know, I uh, got all these cowboy boots that um, were actually purchased from men who were selling them in a flea market that were their personal boots. Um, so the process of even collecting items is very deep and personal. Like I have to also make sure that they're coming from a specific individual, that this is kind of uh, something that they are handing off, um, you know, that that's a personal object to them. And it kind of, I, so every single stitch pattern, right, that I was looking for, or that I even saw kind of resembled wings. 
So for me, is you know, it's kind of this idea of, of uh, reversing this idea of this masculine object that we constantly see and like kind of uh, making use out of it to create something that is um, flamboyant and uh, that can create uh, this sense of, of flight, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, so, you know, traditionally what I do with things is I take culturally relevant uh, 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 objects that I deconstruct in a sense, right? And it, they become new forms, but even though there's an existing form already, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's a, a different meaning to it, right? And it's, it's kind of, it's a new form that is created or born out of this this thing that we culturally see as one thing, whether it's a sombrero, whether it's a cinto, whether it's a bota, right? And this is things that I grew up in. These are things that I grew up seeing as symbols of power for men. I would see men grab belt buckles and holding, you know, holding them high and mighty, you know, on their waist and their hats. The hats were like crowns and they had a different power in the way they navigated you know, it, it was very, it was very performative too, right? So th- that is where the performative comes into play as well. Because these men in the comfort of their own home would be maybe somewhat different. And as soon as they put on this armor, this outfit, uh, they become somebody else. They perform as macho. They perform as, a ma- you know, this tough man, the, the head of household that they hold, uh, you know, that they should be held high on a pedestal. And it's just kind of like absurd at times. So, um, yeah, so, you know, I take all these objects and I kind of, you know, uh, break them down or make, alter them to be a lot more flamboyant and unapologetically gay, like that's, or queer, you know what I mean? That I identify as queer and, you know, that's, that is kind of like taking that power out and kind of make, making it my own power, right? Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, those boots were, many of those boots were fabulous. Um, And a lot of these accoutrements, these, these garments, these, I see them in your performance. So can you talk a little bit, a little bit about lengua? Cause I know you yourself put on these sort of, um, I, I don't want to call them costumes, but you're basically selecting a, uh, an, an appearance right. and you had performed in the gallery uh, during the opening week. Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little about that? Definitely. Yeah. So uh, the performance lengua kind of comes into play with uh, talking about uh, the sense of um biting our own tongue for our own protection right and how we stay or we're constantly silenced and in that silence exists a deeper violence right and um with this for me it was you know it was it was very um unique and very also very visceral to what i was doing because i really wanted to talk about certain things that i grew up fearing uh and which is why i didn't come out for a very long time and was the fear of um, being killed or being um, mistreated. So uh, during this performance, I, um, I would recite something particular to a specific individual. Uh, the majority of them were trans women who keep um, being murdered at the border uh, by border patrol agents but also not only that, but also uh, in Ciudad Juarez recently, a gay couple, a lesbian couple, uh, were murdered, were, they were found dismembered, right? So it, in that kind of hit home, really talking about Ciudad Juarez, because I'm from El Paso, I'm from Ciudad, I was in Ciudad Juarez not so long ago. I'm still going to Ciudad Juarez 
um, on, you know, uh, periodically. And um, it, it's kind of where is our safety, right? Our safety is, is not counted for. Our safety is pretty much almost not there. So uh, with this, uh, using this idea of lengua or this tongue, right, that is culturally relevant, uh, uh, relevant to uh, what we eat too, right? Tacos de lengua. And it's something very cultural and traditional to, to Mexico or to at least to how I grew up. And um, something it's, you know, very uh, absurd and kind of, uh, I would write down these names on the ground and, I would uh, slowly tie, uh, I tied the tongue and I tied that tongue to my tongue uh, forcefully and I would, I would pull the tongue with the force of my tongue, uh, kind of creating this erasure of these names that were on the ground. And uh, once the tongue got close to me, I, I really just put it on my face and I tied it to my face and I continued erasing all these names, yeah. right? Because uh, we have to constantly think about erasure, right? Erasure as Latinx individuals or people of color, but also furthermore, we need to talk about the erasure of queer people of color, right? And, um, and it's kind of, uh, you know, things that make headlines, but then they kind of just go under, under the rug or you just don't yeah. hear about it anymore. So it's kind of uh, what Lengua was about. And it's, um, you know, it, it's very important to really talk about those issues. And we don't talk about the issues because we're afraid. And what I do in my performance, I do put myself out there and I become vulnerable and I become, I become scared because I, I'm existentially like I'm uh, allowing myself uh, to be in harm's way too. Right. Oh. And talk about these yeah. specific issues. Yeah, no, I, I, to I totally related to the work and uh, I saw some other ones on your website. And I think we have a link in the, in the, in the chat, you'll have to check out. Um, for the sake of time, I'm going to keep moving on. Uh, I've already asked you each like sort of an individual question. Um, Daniela's not here, um, but if you if you see the exhibition, she has um, one of the first pieces you see in the show. It's made out of fabric, and it says, "I lived in constant fear of ice," and it's stitched out of fabric. And then there's another piece. Uh, I think it's like a denim. It looks like a denim jacket, but it says the things they carried. Um, I th I think it relates to. Um, uh, uh, the novel by Tim O'Brien that relates to like uh, Vietnam War veterans. Oh, there it is in the images there. Um, and I was really interested in the way she used garments and found uh, textiles. But one of the things I kind of picked up too throughout the whole show, and I, I guess I can start with like uh, Maritza and maybe um, Juan, but I noticed, uh, well, we'll start with Maritza. A, a, lot of the, a lot of your own work, I think, has Spanish titles. So this, this, this sort of, um, back and forth between English and Spanish. And I think a lot of us are either bilingual or are Mexican, but don't speak Spanish. So there's, this, there's, there's a whole other complication of language. Um, but I was curious about just the titling of your work, why, why it's important to use um, Spanish, uh, especially even for a non-Spanish non speaking audience, you know, like someone in Pittsburgh visiting the show. Can, can, Maritza, can you talk a little about that? And we'll, we'll see if anybody else wants to add. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Um, so Spanish is my first language. <laughs> um, and it is the, the language that I learned how to read and write first. Um, I actually write a lot. And a lot of what I write translates to the visuals that I end up using in the pieces that um, I work on. Um, it's really important to me, uh, just because 
when I think, you know, I just automatically sometimes, especially when I'm thinking in creative terms or when I'm looking at certain things, um, I just naturally am, I, I go to Spanish. Um, but here living in Laredo, like, especially like if you're in downtown Laredo, um, it's like you're in Mexico, you know, like all the signs are in Spanish. Everyone who's walking by you is speaking Spanish. Um, so it, it's almost like, um, yeah, like an automatic thing to, to just, for me, when I'm, when I'm looking at uh, visuals or when I'm capturing a moment or if I'm creating a text, it naturally comes out in Spanish. Um, and, and I did think a lot about, um, especially for the projection piece that I have, it, it started as a text, Casas de Cambio. Um, and I, I personally struggled a lot with, um, you know, thinking like, should I include the English version? Should I do, you know, but when I wrote the text, I wrote it in Spanish. So when I did the recording, you know, naturally, it, it just, it happened in Spanish. Um, no. It's just important to me because I think like whenever, wherever you are, um, mm -hmm. it's it's just a signifier of, of, of identity. Um, no. That's really important to me. Yeah, no, that's good. That's, thank you. And that, thank you for clarifying. It makes a lot of sense. Juan, do you want to add? I think your, your titles are also in Spanish. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, one of the things that I enjoy about doing is Spanglish. That's what we call it. You oh, know, of course, Spanglish. yeah, Spanglish, yeah. So um, is that uh, sometimes it has to do about, um, you know, you talk to my friends and some of the, my friends that were boxers. And sometimes to describe certain things, you know, such as the, the gloves, the boxing gloves, they want this in Spanish, right? But they say boxing gloves. And I think uh, that has to do a little bit with the authority. Like you want to show something that, you know, you're, you're uh, capable to, to kind of like uh, handle, but also to learn. For example, English um, for me is second language. So when I came here to the States, uh, a lot of my advisors, the counselors, they were like, Juan, you better speak English. I was like, I can, you know, I can. So I was just a Spanish speaker. So later I learned uh, English. Mm -hmm. And nowadays I can speak a little bit better than before, right? But then one of the things about English is so um, my parents, they don't speak English at all. Sometimes they struggle to actually uh, speak English or to pronounce a word. So the deal is sometimes when they say a word, and, you know, some mm -hmm. people make fun of uh, the way they pronounce it. But then at the end of the day, we have fun about, you know, certain words. So when I, you know, the way I use the, the English in my um the or just some words in my uh, the titles for my pieces it's more or less to make fun of uh, certain things in you know in for the english you know speakers but mm -hmm. also i'll do it in a way that it you know it rhymes mm -hmm. i like my titles to rhyme a little bit to have a little bit of poking fun and i think that speaks so much about how we you know laredo um artists people community we like to community you know like to you know um um you know, uh, have a conversation or just to kind of get along. That's one of those things that I really enjoy about, you know, Spanglish. Using yeah. it, it has so much force. You can identify with all the border towns, but also with the American and the Mexican community. It's uh, a way to unify two cultures with just one title. Why not? You know, it's something yeah. so beautiful and so innocent. Yeah. You want to put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And it just makes total sense. Many people in the U.S., regardless of being from Mexico, 
you know, speak other languages or have families that speak other languages. So I think language is very uh, key in this exhibition. Also, uh, coming from the border as an artist, I think objects tend, uh, I guess, growing up, like, for example, with Jose's work with the botas, you could say boots in English, but botas in Spanish, it has this whole other meaning where sometimes it's not only used for cowboy, you know, or ranch purposes, but there's also these things of like, it could be, they, there's this sense of maybe violence, you know, if you were hit with one, not that I was, mm -hmm. but, you know, it's always there or kind of like the chancla, the chancla says, right? you know, it's, it could be, uh, you know, something that, that it has these other things, not just uh, the definition of them, but also how they're utilized. And so, and, and that carries a lot of weight, especially in the arts. Yeah, no, I, I know the chancla well. Um, <laughs> um, I want before you know we're, we're time is flying, and I do want to thank Leah, uh, Jan, and Tarane uh, for their other border wall project, which is also one of the features in the exhibition. Um, so I want to go to Angel um, in Tarane's uh, Tarane Idia's exhibition uh, essay. Um, it's called "The Border Is a Weapon Even Here," and she writes about the other border uh, border wall project, but she also talks about Pittsburgh. And so even though Pittsburgh is far from the U.S.-Mexico border, she discusses our own borders in Pittsburgh. Some of them are natural, but many of them are unnatural divisions uh, and create barriers to community. Um, she notes, for example, that it's not a thriving city for everyone. In fact, the Black population is decreasing. Um, many citizens suffer from poor air quality and water quality. Um, so I was curious, what were your thoughts about visiting Pittsburgh and having your work experienced so far away from uh, Texas? And why do you think it's important for audiences to see the work uh, so far from the U.S.-Mexico border? Me, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, I'll start with you and we, we, can, we can open it up. But yes, it's a big question, but I, 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 wanted, I wanted to ask that. Um, I, I think it's really important uh, that the work reach uh, people out in the East Coast. But one of the things that I thought was really amazing was the, the number of Latinos that showed up to the opening in itself um, and, and the way they felt represented um, at the exhibition was just phenomenal, uh, especially after hearing that, that Pittsburgh has such a small Latino community. Um, I never would have guessed that from the opening. <laughs> um, but I mean, getting out there and, and seeing the bridges, especially, uh, you know, in well, in Texas, all the borders all have bridges, right? Um, I, you, you get that that feeling of of separation within the city of Pittsburgh in itself with so many bridges that you all have out there. Um, and yet, um, it's not as closed off as, as the way ours are now. Um, and, and really, I thought it was really important that we show what's happening to our area and, and talking about it uh, because we have these outside forces that are imposing uh, their wills within mm -hmm. our communities without actually ever seeing or experiencing our lives. Um, and, and so uh, I, I thought it was a really powerful thing uh, to be part of this group of, of great artists and, and represent um, our lives. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, and I thought so too. I, I was trying to connect those, but um, Pittsburgh was very important for the last election. Um, we just had, a, we have more bridges than Venice, they say. Um, but of course, we even had a bridge that collapsed uh, not too long ago um, with President Biden, I guess, arriving into town the same day. So I thought it it, it made quite a landscape uh, in the background for your own exhibition. Um, Jose, do you want to add anything to this question? Uh, yeah, I, it's, uh, 
the dynamic of the bridges is very interesting too just kind of going to what because coming from El Paso right we I grew up constantly crossing these bridges right going between El Paso and Ciudad Juarez on a weekly basis uh, sometimes on a daily basis right and uh, to go through certain uh, uh, type of procedures that you were you had to oblige by was very particular right to prove your citizenship and also you know uh, the fact that sometimes they may you know if a kid was either a little too dark or a little too light they would question your parents that was a constant fear that we had uh, just crossing over and they basically my mom is from Mexico my mom you know tells me these crazy stories of how she used to cross the border illegally you know quote unquote and uh you know she's crossed over through the river uh through the trunks of cars through the desert the mountains she tells me all these insane stories and to kind of you know be in pittsburgh and kind of cross these bridges like it's no like like a full freedom is kind of very interesting too like it, it, it's not that it's a trigger by any means but it's kind of interesting to see this dynamic of bridges at times too right yeah. and um and to go from to see how landscape changes in itself too right from where we are at to way the landscape changes once you cross over into downtown area yeah yeah right? and, and, and then yeah. sorry yeah. that's yeah. how landscape changes between El Paso and Ciudad Juarez, right? You're in El Paso and you see Ciudad Juarez and it's like two completely different worlds. Like yeah. you are on I-10, but yeah, anyways. And political changes. Um, Heel, I wanted to also jump to you on this because you had been you had been to Pittsburgh before. You knew the show was happening. Can you add to this as well? Yes, well, I mean, I was going to add and I was actually eager to go after right uh, after Jose uh, because, uh, yes, I mean, you get to see the, the bridges and you enjoy these bridges. They, they look beautiful, but there's the, you know, and the rivers for what they are natural, you know, these uh, taking pictures in a nice way and stuff like that. Whereas here, they're just very politicized. You see them and they're not what we used to grow, grow up with, like going to the river and fishing. Now there are just these things that you, you can't get near them because then you have the border patrols come right in and ask you why you're there, what you're doing. And so, I mean, it just doesn't feel like they, they should. And so that's another aspect of it. And then, you know, in part, the difference. Thank you. Yeah, and we do have a question from the audience. We're, we're open to uh, questions from them. We have a, a question to all of you. What did you hope this exhibition made the people of Pittsburgh feel that were non-Latinos? What did you hope this exhibition made the people of Pittsburgh feel that were not non-Latino, non-Latinos? Anyone? This is a. Uh, I'm not looking uh, to make anyone feel in a particular way. Um, particularly, I think uh, that exhibition is to inform more than anything, and an opportunity to learn, right, and to also connect with people. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I think that, yes, we want to sympathize and we want to empathize, but that can only go so far. Right. If we're not willing to learn, if we're not willing to actually have that conversation, mm -hmm. uh, I think that that's that's for me, that's what I was hoping for. Right. Is that for people to be able to to maybe at some point be able to connect, whether they have they have lived the experience or not. That is a, an opportunity to, to learn and to be able to 
maybe really start to uh, talk about these specific issues uh, deeper than, than anything else. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? I mean, I'll say uh, just because my work um, is very specific to the location, um, I was very interested in kind of transporting them to where we are. The sounds you hear, the sounds you hear when you're mm-hmm. in downtown Laredo, the colors you see, like the the way things are moving. I mean, I think, you know, to me, that was very interesting. But yes, I mean, educating them about the reality, you know, like he mentioned earlier um, in the introduction, um, it's it's like our uh, version of what's happening or what it is to be on the U.S.-Mexico border. Thank you. And adding to that also is the things yes. that we've learned in the process. I mean, we uh, just all the opportunities going to Pittsburgh, uh, you know, to as, as artists, as, as the curator, you know, people are very nice. And then, you know, the part of the result is this, like where we're sitting right now. I mean, I think that was part also of the vision where the, the exhibition is the platform. And now we're here having a conversation. God knows that a year ago, I would have never thought that we would be here in this nice evening, you know, enjoying a talk and, and willing to learn from each other. I think yeah. that's what's most important. Yeah, and I, and I, will, um, I will remind everyone that this exhibition, it's on view now, it's on view through, uh, through April, I'm sorry, but it did have an opening reception. Jose had his performance that you think these things don't happen anymore, but thankfully we're learning to live with the pandemic. So I'm happy that it, that it took place. And we do have another question, maybe Heal, you wanna answer it, but will the exhibition be seen in other cities? Yes, so we're, I was about to say that, that we're planning to bring it to Laredo uh, in the summer. We're not sure on the dates yet, but that's in, in, in the making. So crossing fingers that everything works out and hopefully, uh, and we'll be seeing you guys, we'll be bringing it to Laredo. That's good. And add, add add so, yeah, yes, go ahead. You know, one of the things that, you know, this uh, exhibition uh, is for uh, addressing the last question. What I would try to accomplish is to actually, it's like any other artwork, you know, they archive or they actually document something that happened during that time. You know, like Jose performance, you know, Maritza, you know, the, the Casas de Cambio. My, you know, my artwork, even Angeles and Daniela's, we try to accomplish is basically to establish something that happens during this time. You know, he'll uh, talk about the last presidency, what's happening right now. So our, our work basically documents what's happening during this time, you know, period. And Jose as you mentioned, oh, Goya, he actually talks about the, you know, the acts of war, you know, during that time, you know, Los Caprichos. All these prints talks a little bit about, you know, certain behavior, talks a little bit about the culture, the political turmoil, I think what we are trying to accomplish with this uh, exhibition is a little bit what Laredo or El Paso or San Antonio, what we are experiencing during this time, such as the Chicano Chicano art, the political posters, you know, what they did during that time. Now it actually serves as a form of influence and empowerment that basically a lot of us, you know, new generations, we try to adopt and basically execute, you know, through the, the art form. I think hopefully, you know, my art, now I'm getting to this stage in my life where I'm gonna be a mentor. Hopefully this serves as a mentor, but also an influence that, you know, that we can be capable of doing things and basically showing everyone that we have skills, but also we have the power to make a change. Thank you. And Jan, I, I wanna add to the, the question that was asked earlier in the chat. Um, Cause I was thinking also, even re- regardless of the fact that this is m- mostly Mexican American, 
Latino, Latinx artists, there's so many other uh, communities across the globe. We were seeing, you know, we're seeing you, the invasion of Ukraine. We're seeing people, citizens of Afghanistan, trying to flee their own country. Uh, we see the the weaker the weaker people in China in concentration camps. Um, so I, I guess just to add to that question, how do you how do you think about other I guess other parts of the world that are dealing with similar issues? Is that something you think about? Because this is not just a. I don't think all of these. Uh, themes or concerns in your work deal with just something that's Latin American or Tex-Mex. Um, it's something that's quite global. Anybody want to add to that? As Angel did bring up that there were a lot of Latinos in the audience the day of the opening, but um, I will say that they were international. Like it wasn't just people from um, one area in the world. It was like, I'm here from Chile and, and I'm here from Venezuela and this resonates with me. And, and, you know, I think that's the power of the work that it resonates to a lot of people because we all experience, um, you know, we all have a form of identity, whether it's, it's not accepted or not, or whether we, we don't understand it. Um, you know, it's something that we share just in humanity. Um, so yeah. I will say that. Thank you. And does anybody want to answer the question, what or who influenced you to become an artist? He actually influenced, influenced me. You know, I was a student at the, one of the local high schools in Laredo. And then uh, he actually got invited to actually paint this uh, painting for uh, James Bond. I remember for the, one of the movie theaters. And he was painting there, so he influenced me. I think all of us, we have a lot of artists that you're influenced by, you know. I don't think you can actually just mention one person or one artist. It will be really unfair because you're talking about the canon of artists, you know, historical artists, about plus modern artists. I think he actually showed me a little bit that the ropes have to be an artist. But I'm not going to give you all credit, uh, here, but I, I'll give you some. <laughs> thank you thank you we'll say i'm honored for about that oh, that's uh, nice to hear <laughs> and um we're well we're we're, we're running uh at, to the end of our time but i have one really quick question um and just to wrap it all back around to the other border wall project um for those of you who aren't familiar with it this is basically and they're in the show they're rejected proposals um to the department of homeland security for uh real border walls uh from 19 or from 2017 um, if you see the if you see the exhibition, you can see some of these um, illustrations, um, and they're actually they kind of go against what was asked. Um, so I wanted to just ask the artist uh, talk, talking talking to Leah and Jen and Tarane and to Heal. Um, did you come up with any of your own border wall ideas uh, that you would you you would have proposed? I guess um, <laughs> as part of the other uh, the other border wall project. I, think I, I had initially thought about proposing, but then, you know, time flew and I never submitted my drawing, but I did have something for it. I just never turned it in uh, to, you know, to Wendia uh, invited and, and Jen and Tony. Um, and it was just this huge, huge, huge wall. And it was going to weigh tons. Uh, but the whole idea was that, that it would be lopsided and within a short time it would fall and then build the biggest bridge ever and they couldn't lift it because it was just so heavy so that was my idea well i was just thinking about honestly just thinking about the proposal on a wall it's you know kind of going back to uh this border and this boundary right like why do we have to propose a wall or a wall of any sort 
why does it have to be something friendly how about it's just nature itself right and i have i was just recently uh two years ago i was recently part of um this kind of convening that happened in El Paso uh, with a group of artists and uh, we went to the border wall, we did a visit and uh, we talked about exactly that, you know, why, especially the Native American uh, individuals, right? Uh, the Native individuals who were stating that um, even just the simple fact of um, a wooden fence is interrupting their land, right? So I even if it was a hammock or if it was something musical, you know, that is something still obstructing the land and the force of nature. You know, it, it's, it's just kind of to really think about that. It's, 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 it's absurd, right. That we have to submit this type of proposal and that they were open to it. Um, but anyways, yeah, no, the proposals of oppression. Um, I, I, I think I was muted, but um, yeah, that's certainly a project uh, that can, I, I think Jen and the team can carry on. There was a question about how we can find you. I think a lot of you are, are on Instagram. Um, there is an online catalog. Jose's performance is available online. Uh, and the exhibition is on view for you Pittsburghers. It's on view till April 10th. It's at the 937 Gallery in uh, downtown Pittsburgh. Um, so I want to thank everyone. I want to thank everyone for joining. I know it's uh, there's a lot of Zoom fatigue um, in the air, but I'm so thrilled that there's so many of us tonight. I believe this is also recorded. Um, maybe there could be a part two for, for the, the radio version. My family's in San Antonio, so I'd love to see the, see the next one, uh, the next iteration of this. Um, but I do want to thank all of you for joining tonight and uh, look forward to... Uh, I guess the next round of this exhibition and maybe some more programming. So thank you everyone and have a good evening. Thank you Jose for everything and thanks everyone for joining. And that was the Other Border Wall podcast. Thank you for listening.